happen until after Pentecost. About 30 days later, when the Holy Spirit came on them, and all of a sudden these these fearful uh, men became champions for Christ. And Peter gets up and preaches a sermon to thousands of people on Pentecost, and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. But they're still afraid. They're still afraid that they're going to come after them. And so here they are, back in the same place where they were eight days earlier. The doors are locked, and it says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. It's interesting when you just um, study the, the new body of Christ, the resurrected body, which was a body of flesh and blood. I mean, Jesus, you know, had meals with people. Some people think that Jesus rose again with this like spirit body. No, it was a body of flesh and blood. But somehow in his resurrected body, Jesus seems to have the ability to like teleport himself wherever he wants to go. And so all of a sudden the doors are locked and Jesus appears. Uh, that's what happened in uh, verse 19 of chapter 20. Here it is again. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And who does he go to? He goes right to Thomas. It's almost like this, this fourth resurrection appearance that's recorded is specifically for one person. And he shows up and he, he goes right to Thomas. And this is what he says to Thomas. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus says to Thomas and to us, stop doubting and believe. And what's Thomas's response? It's a, it's a wonderful response. The text doesn't say that, that Thomas needed to put his hand or his finger in the nail prints in his hands or his hand in the side. The text simply says that Thomas makes a statement of belief. Five powerful words. My Lord and my God. Thomas expresses his belief in the resurrected Christ, that he is the Lord of all and he is his God. One commentator writes, in awestruck wonder, Thomas not only believed that Christ was risen from the dead, but he also saw that the resurrection proved his deity. Romans 1.4 says, what is the crowning proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is the Son of God, and Paul writes in Romans 1, it's the resurrection of Christ, that Christ rose from the dead. And Thomas sees that, and he responds, my Lord and my God. This, in one sense, is, is Thomas's public profession of faith. This is, this is the truth that, that Christianity um, must be a personal thing. We can intellectually know that Jesus is who he said he is, and that he rose from the dead but what does the scripture say? We need to personalize that, don't we? We need to receive that gift for ourselves. It's like David writing in Psalm 23.1. He says, not the Lord is a shepherd. He says, the Lord is what? My shepherd, my shepherd. And here's Thomas. He says, you are my Lord and you are my God. Jesus responds with a blessing, verse, verse 29. 
It says, Then Jesus told him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you and me. He says to Thomas, you believe because you've seen me. But blessed are people who, who believe in the truth of the resurrection and who Jesus is, who have not seen Christ. And that's, as I mentioned, that's, that's us. In fact, Peter writes to a group of persecuted believers who um, have not seen the risen Christ. And this is what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, um, chapter 1 rather, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us a new birth, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where our hope lies. Verse 8, he writes, though you have not seen him, you love him. True of us today, too. Nobody, nobody here has seen Jesus face to face. Yet we believe and we love him. Blessed are those who have seen, not seen, and yet believe. And even though you do not see him now, you are, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And so Jesus pronounces a blessing. Uh, not only does Thomas express his, his personal statement of belief in Christ, but Jesus says, blessed are all those who've never seen and yet believe. Well, that's the fourth post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. And this morning, we want to look at uh, some life lessons. What can we learn from this, this story and, and uh, apply to our lives? So let's look at four life lessons from John chapter 20. And, and here's the first one. The first one is this, that Christianity is rooted and based on historical fact. That our faith is not just some blind leap in the dark and, and, and hoping and believing that this is true. No, Christianity is rooted in historical faith, historical evidence that Jesus Christ is a real historical figure. In fact, all of our human history, we, we, we date the calendar by what? Before Christ and Anno Domino, the Latin phrase means in the year of our Lord. So every time you write a check, if anybody still writes checks, some of us still do. You give affirmation of the fact that Jesus Christ is the, the cornerstone person in all of history. Christianity is rooted in based on historical fact. In Matthew 22, one of the, the lawyers uh, from the Sadducees and the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. They were always trying to trip him up. And they asked them, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then what did he say? With all your mind, with all your mind. You, you, you don't just chuck your, your intellectual aspect of your life to believe in Jesus. No, love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. And so there's many, many people down through the years that have done an honest intellectual search on who is Jesus. You're familiar with some of them, people like Lee Strobel that was an investigative reporter for the, the uh, Chicago Tribune, was an atheist, and, and he did a, a research as a research reporter into who is this person, Jesus, and he came to faith in Christ, and he's written many books, uh, The Case for Christ is one of them. 
probably the most well-known one is, is Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell grew up not very far from here in, in, uh, in Michigan. And uh, Josh McDowell was an unbeliever. He, he, was, he was going into law and he was in pre-law school and he, he met a group of believers who kind of challenged him. And so Josh McDowell set out to prove that Christianity was false. That it was just some make-believe story. And he threw himself into doing some research. And this is what Josh McDowell writes in his book, More Than a Carpenter. I thought that only a walking idiot could believe the myth that Jesus came back from the dead. If I could show that the Bible was historically untrustworthy, then I could show that Christianity was a fantasy made up by wishful religious dreamers. I spent much months rather in research, and I found evidence. Evidence in abundance. Evidence that I would not have believed had I seen it with my own eyes. If I were to remain intellectually honest, I had to admit that the Old Testament and New Testament documents were some of the most reliable writings in all of antiquity. I had to admit that Jesus Christ was more than a carpenter, that he was all that he claimed to be. And so Josh McDowell went on to write all these books, evidence that demands a verdict and uh, that, that shows the evidence and the truth that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's been one of the most prolific authors in, in, in Christianity. About three or four years ago, Josh McDowell was a speaker up at Maranatha and uh, spent the week there. And uh, after one of the, the sessions, I, I, I pulled him together and I, I took a well, it's not a selfie because it was a picture of the two of us and we were standing there together and I, I posted on Facebook and I said, uh, uh, together me and this fellow have written over 200 books and um, and uh, he has 200, I had zero. But uh, Josh, Josh McDowell uh, set out to disprove Christianity and when he did the research, he discovered the truth. That's That's lesson number one. Secondly, life lesson number two, Jesus post-resurrection appearance, second one to the disciples, demonstrates the importance of one. I mentioned, as you read this text, it's it's all pointed on Thomas, isn't it? In fact, the subtitle in my NIV Bible says, Jesus appears to Thomas. Well, there was 10 others there. But Jesus was focused on Thomas. It shows the importance of one a week later, his disciples in the house, and Thomas was with them. Verse 27, Jesus appears, and then he goes right to, to Thomas. And so it speaks of the importance of one individual. And yes, in Jesus' life, he spoke to crowds. But oftentimes when you read the Gospels, what's Jesus doing? He's one-on-one with people, isn't he? he he's, he's meeting Nicodemus at night. And he's having a one-on-one conversation with, with Nicodemus. He's with the woman at the well, and he engages her in conversation. And the woman at the well discovers that she's talking to the Messiah. He confronts the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who wanted to accuse the, the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. And when they all leave, he has a one-on-one conversation with this woman. Earlier, we saw that he, he walked the road to Emmaus and he spent time with two, two followers 
Cleopas and the other one unnamed on the, the road to Emmaus, it speaks of the importance of one. That's illustrated in the John Luke chapter 15, the, the three parables that, that Jesus told. Remember them? The, the lost sheep. And he says, here's a shepherd, and he has a hundred sheep, and he has 99 of them, but one strays off. What does he do? He goes and he finds that sheep. The story of the lost coin, the story of the, the prodigal son. What's one of the messages of that? It's the importance of one. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Weight of Glory, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every person on the planet has value. They're made in the image of Christ. They're going to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. And Jesus demonstrates the importance of Thomas because he makes a special appearance for one person, Thomas. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus encourages us to search the scriptures and they are those which testify to me. Yes, Thomas had doubts, but Thomas finally believed. Well, here's the third life lesson. And uh, it's this. Doubts are profitable if they lead us to honestly and openly and open mind search for the truth. It's not wrong to have doubts. Uh, doubts, if, if, if doubts are examined honestly and with an open mind, they can lead us to a discovery of the truth. And as I mentioned, John, John 5.39, that's what Jesus challenges us, doesn't he? Search the scriptures, find for yourself who Jesus is. One of the best things you can do in an evangelistic way is, uh, if you're witnessing to somebody, is to tell them to, to, to read the Gospel of John with an open mind and, 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 and pray that God will open up their, their hearts and minds to the truth. Because what's the purpose of the Gospel of John? It records seven miracles, and these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so uh, we all wrestle with doubt. Someone has said, doubt is the doorway through which we make our faith our own. And so in one sense, it's, it's, it's normal, especially if you were raised in a Christian home, to sometimes experience doubts. I went through that process probably as a young teen. I was born, raised into a, a pastor's family in Cleveland, Ohio, and went to church my whole life from two weeks on up. And uh, in the church, obviously, every time the doors were opened and made a profession of faith when I was eight years old. And then when I was a young teen, I began to think, is this true or is this, am, am I believing in Christianity simply because this was the family that I was born in and I had, was born into a pastor's family and, and this is all that I know? Or do I believe in Christianity not because I was born in a pastor's family but because it's true? And as I wrestled with that, I came to the conclusion that I believed in the gospel. And I believed in Christ because it was true. In fact, I heard Josh McDowell tell this story, and this, this, is, this is true. His um, 
Josh McDowell's son, Sean, now is... Uh, is one of the great, uh, followed in his father's steps as a great apologist uh, for the faith and has written many, many books with it, with his dad. But uh, Josh will tell you the story that when Sean, his son, was in college, he came to Josh McDowell, one of the pastors, teachers that traveled all over the, the world sharing Christ, and he says, uh, Dad, I no longer believe that, that uh, what you believe. I don't believe in Christianity anymore. And I'll never forget this. Josh McDowell's response to that was, that's great, son. I don't want you to believe it because I believe it. I want you to believe it because you discover for yourself the truth. And that set Sean on a several-year search for meaning and truth and what was absolutely true. And he, he came back to the fact that Christianity is true. And so uh, doubts are profitable if we uh, lead us to honestly and openly uh, look for the truth. And when we discover it for ourselves, our own, our faith becomes even stronger. You, You know what happened to Thomas, don't you? Thomas became a missionary to India. Thomas took the gospel to India, and he ended up dying, what, as a martyr for his faith because his doubts led him to believe, and his faith became his own. Well, life lesson number four. Um, here's, here's the last one. Life lesson number four. Like Thomas, we need to openly confess what we believe. Like Thomas... We need to openly confess the truth of what we believe. What was Thomas' response when he, he saw the risen Christ and he saw the nail prints in his hands and the, the opening in his side? He publicly said, my Lord and my God. He openly professed faith in Christ. That's what the book of Romans encourages us to do as far as salvation. That familiar passage in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What was expected in the Roman Empire was that everybody would declare what? Caesar is Lord. But Paul says if you're going to be a Christian, you have to stand up and say, Jesus is Lord, and that puts you in exact opposition to the culture of the day. But if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so what's Paul encouraging us to do is to to confess, to, to declare what we believe. And that's what Thomas did. How do, how do we do that? Well, there are many ways to do that. One of the ways that the scripture talks about, we believe that the, the baptism, uh, immersion, is what the public declaration of our faith in Jesus. It does not save us, but the waters of baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when we accept Jesus and follow him in baptism, we're what? Publicly declaring and identifying with Jesus. There are many other ways that we confess that Jesus is Lord. 
It's with um, testifying of what he's done in our life, of coming together corporately and worshiping him. It's witnessing and and, and not being ashamed of uh, being a follower of Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 1, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And so, like Thomas, we need to publicly confess who Jesus is and that our faith is in him. Listen to the words of Jesus in closing. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And so, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed to be a follower of Jesus. And in the culture in which we live, which is becoming further and further away from truth and further and further away from um, Christian principles and Christian beliefs, it's going to take some courage to stand up and be a follower of Jesus. But that's what God wants us to do, to be a light in the world, to not hide it under a bushel, but to proclaim our faith and trust in him. We're going to close this morning before I close in prayer by uh, listening to a song that um, affirms our faith. And uh, perhaps you're not familiar with this group. If you're over 40, you may not know them, but uh, this is a wonderful song about what we believe in and affirming the truth of Christianity by a group called the Newsboys. And it's four minutes long, and uh, I think you will uh, resonate with this. Uh, we're going to listen to We Believe, and then we'll close in, in prayer. Let's share the video. In this time of desperation Doubt and fear There is only one foundation We believe We believe In this broken generation With all the stock you help Greater 
Well, if you believe in God the Father, and if you believe in God the Son, and then the Holy Spirit, if you believe in the crucifixion, if you believe that Jesus conquered death, that he rose again, that he's coming back again, stand with me, and uh, we will close in, in prayer. Lord, thank you for this reminder through this song of of what we believe. That the Bible is not a fairy tale, but the Bible is rooted in historical fact. That Jesus was a historical figure who walked this world for 33 years, who lived a sinless life, who went to the cross and paid our penalty for sin. And he died and three days later he rose again and he made post-resurrection appearances to hundreds of people. And 40 days later, he ascended to heaven. And that someday, Lord, you're coming back again, and we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that that's true. Lord, may that truth, those truths, transform our lives, transform the way we live. And Lord, help us to be a, a, a light to those that need to know him. So we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray for uh, some today that may be struggling with doubts. Lord, thank you that you you come to us in our doubts, just like you came to Thomas. And Lord, we think of the the prayer of the uh, the father whose whose son was afflicted with with uh, evil spirits, and Jesus was about to deliver them, and asked, "Do you believe that I can?" And he said, "Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief." Lord, thank you that. Our faith, um, even the faith of a mustard seed, is a powerful faith. And that's not the amount of faith that we have, but it's the object of our faith. And so we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the truth of the, the, the gospel. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.